It's sizzling Sprint Weekend. For a limited time, you can pick up an iPad on us when you lease a new iPhone. That's right, get a free iPad when you lease a new iPhone at Sprint. It's an unrivaled pair. Get both and save big when you switch to Sprint. Stop by your local Sprint store during sizzling Sprint Weekend, July 19th, 20th, and 21st to learn more iPad 6 Gen, 32 gigabytes, $0 per month after 1917 monthly credit for 24 months. Credit applied within two bills. Requires new line and qualifying plan. If you cancel early, remaining balance due. Tax due at sale. Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing. Saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finance is made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. I'm going to adjust my, my seat so that Don and I are, are similarly framed around this. Oh. Although you might want to move like uh, six inches to your right. But oh. how you doing? I can't hear you. Uh, oh, yes. The people on the other side of the glass can hear still. <laughs> yeah, this is the Atheist Experience. We are live. Today is uh, December 8th, 2018. Ninth. Ninth. Yes. Yesterday was the 8th. Thank you. See? Thank We've you. barely started the show and already I've been wrong. Yes. Corrected. Acknowledged it. Thanked him. We moved on. It must have been that alien abduction that you had. You were lost time. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we're coming up on the end of the year. Um, and if you go to atheist-experience.com, you will find the schedule for the show. Atheist-community.org gets you to everything related to the ACA, and there will be links up and stuff like that. Um, the ACA is now producing, I don't know, a gazillion and one shows. It's awesome because we got the atheist experience talk, heathen, nonprofits, godless bitches, preaching humanists, atheist roundtable, atheist interviews, secular sexuality. I will be on secular sexuality this Thursday, uh, truth wanted and parenting beyond belief. And there's more to come as we work to, you know, kind of deal with the whole human. We're turning into an atheist media empire. Good. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Take that, every other podcast on the planet. Uh, anyway. <clears throat> Because of, the, because of this, there, there's a lot going on over the next couple of weeks. I'm going to be out of town and traveling. I'm doing the Magic and Skepticism show for the Metroplex Atheist next Saturday. So if you're in the Dallas area, uh, you can look up that information for Metroplex Atheist. It's their annual solstice party, and, and I am the guest du jour. And uh, then I start my Christmas trip, so I'll be gone. There will be other people around. But one of the things that's happening is the ACA is putting on a – a best of clip show, um, best of the year. And uh, we're hoping that this takes off and then we plan a little better. And maybe right. So there won't be a live show, right, on, on the which day? 23rd, okay. I, I think. Okay. 
Yes, Sunday the 23rd. But uh, what we need you to do, if you're watching this, you have very, very, very little time left to do this, especially if you're not watching it live on Sunday and you're catching the Monday upload. We're looking for suggestions from viewers uh, about the most polarizing topic, uh, the most repeated theist talking point, the best guest appearance, the face palm of the year, the most fabulous clip of the year, the funniest call of the year, the most heartfelt moment, uh, the one most likely to make you cry, uh, clip of the year, or just overall, all of those things. You can submit your suggestions for those categories and others if you feel like there's something that we missed to submissions at atheist-community.org it's at the bottom of the screen or will be uh it is i i can't read that that's a tiny tiny little screen over <laughs> we're, there we're too old to be able to read that yeah, glasses no <laughs> yeah doesn't matter whether i look through glasses or not that's not but, but the idea is that these suggestions will be turned into some editing magic and make an awesome episode right yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, for years people have pulled their favorite clips out of the shows and posted them elsewhere, and uh, it just it felt right to maybe do a, hey, here's the fan-suggested best of for the year. Right, from the year, from the last year, right. Yeah, don't go back two years. That's cheating. That's cheating. Yeah. You know. Even though there's some good stuff back there. <laughs> some good stuff along. <laughs> uh, I, never, I never said who we were um, at this point. Unless you're new. If you don't know. Yeah. Uh, I'm Matt Dillahoney. This is Don Baker. Hey, good to We're here live. Sponsored by the Atheist Community of Austin, along with a bunch of other programs. This is a live call-in show. The number's up at the bottom of the screen, although we are currently full of callers, which we will get to shortly. But uh, Don has a topic for us today. I do have a failure this time. Sweet. Okay. Sweet Jesus, fail more often. (laughs) Fail more often. So today is number 60, if you're keeping track. Uh... Been a, been a long, strange road. Um, Gosh, it seems like they, we've done like 400 failures. Yeah, it seems that way. Yeah. So today's topic is religion is useful. And uh, there's this wonderful quote called says, uh, Religion is regarded by the common people as true, by the wise as false, and by the rulers as useful. And there's actually a lesson here. This is popularly attributed to uh, Seneca, Seneca, Seneca the Younger, but apparently it's a much more recent clip, and some intrepid skeptic wanted to hunt down where the hell this came from, and he did lots and lots of research and found, uh-oh, this is probably a made-up made up quote. There's a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there was some similar quotes in the 1800s that this may have been adapted from, so it's so – Probably Seneca had nothing to do with it. Uh, along the lines of the religion is the opiate of the masses, the, the same yeah. sort of sentiment. Um, it reminds me, uh, this time of year in particular, uh, there, especially now that George H.W. Ha- has died, there's a quote from George H.W. Bush about not, uh, not considering atheists patriots or citizens. Oh, yes, and that's probably uh, made up as well, Yeah, it's right? probably made up. It's not been sourced. It was supposedly denounced as, you know, I never said this type of thing. It's really hard to tell. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter um, because the sentiment certainly exists, and it exists not not incredibly widely, but it, it, it's right up there with this is a Christian nation or the, those types of things that are just part of the the public's perception of who we are, and it's worth it to counter it. And so I, I never link the quote and never cite Bush for it. 
Um, yeah. Because there's plenty of other things that people have said that are awful. And Sure, sure. So I guess the, the lesson is to be skeptical even of the things that, that you would agree with. Yeah, um, especially. But I do think the sentiment is true. Um, so if the common people are theists and the wise are the atheists, and we have these you know true-false debates all the time on this show, what about the religion is useful and who are, who are the rulers to whom it's useful? And that would presumably be the politicians and religious leaders, right? So why is it useful? Well, simply uh, religion is the dog whistle for the gullible. And with a little nudging, the gullible can be easily manipulated and, and whatever power they have can be at your disposal. And if you think to even the presidential elections that we've had, the various candidates and the religious sentiments of the various ones, you know, Ronald Reagan pretty much walked on water. He was kind of anointed by God. Uh, Barack Obama uh, allegedly was a Muslim from Kenya. <laughs> So didn't even didn't even make the make the mark. Trump is arguably the most evil president in recent memory, but he gets a pass because because of his manipulation of the religious and I don't know the pussy grabbers for Jesus think he's awesome. I don't know. Um, obedience is certainly useful, and there is this effect, this true effect in psychology, where if you have a, a poster up on the wall with eyes on it. It will influence people's honesty. So if it's like a, you know a quarter for a cup of coffee or whatever, people will be much more honest and put the quarter in if if those eyes are watching you. And and so the religion gives you uh, God watching you all the time. And obedience also, I think, fits very nicely with this idea of a shepherd and flock metaphor. Uh, sheep are not terribly smart, and they need to be led around. Uh, and but remember, the sheep get fleeced and are slaughtered and eaten, and uh, and atheists in Texas might say them them's good eating. Yeah. Um, what about uh, let's see? Uh, Jeff Sessions recently uh, was was trying to apologize for the immigrant abuse, and he said, uh, "Persons who violate the law of our nation are subject to prosecution." I would cite you to the Apostle Paul and his queer, clear and wise command in Romans 13 to obey the laws of the government because God has ordained them for the purpose of order. And he said this in June. Oh, that's a June, June 2018. So Romans 13.1 says, let every, uh, among other things, let others, uh, every soul be subject to the higher powers for there is no power but of God and the powers that are ordained, ordained of God. And so the idea is that you're God has appointed your leaders and you are to be subject to them. Right. Doesn't matter who it is. Doesn't matter if it's a tyrant. It's this and another verse have been used both to support the divine right of kings and to prevent people from objecting to the government. Yes. It's, yeah, it's terrible, terrible stuff. And um, there's also uh, the render unto Caesar, Matthew twenty two twenty one, supposedly from Jesus. Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God. God, which has always confused me. Yes. So, so these, when you know, granted, I grew up Southern Baptist, so they're going to have a particular spin on this. But if you render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, that's about paying your taxes. And in, in the mm -hmm. context, it's you know, you, you owe taxes to the government. Give that that. But it seems to imply that God doesn't need your money. And yet we constantly hear from people who are like, "We need your money to do God's work." So it's not that God needs your money; it's this church needs your money to do God's right. work. 
<laughs> but is that and, and how is it that the churches are exempt from this? Uh, <laughs> they seem to have you know slipped slipped into something else. It's actually fun that Don's brought this topic. I would pull this picture up on this screen as soon as we have that technology. Uh-huh. Um, Beth found at an antique shop a pamphlet from the YMCA from 1918, so 100 years old. Uh, I don't. I can hold it up, maybe, but it's uh, for you. it's not. No. It's some words of President Wilson about religion. Uh, it's going to actually be the subject of uh, one of the videos that I end up doing this week talking about church-state separation and how strange it is to have words of President Wilson, not Woodrow Wilson. Mm. Uh, that's, that's significant. Yep. But yep. Anyway, continue. Well, he was an interesting president. Um, okay, well, religion is most useful for the religious establishment. So think of tax subsidies, which we just mentioned, lack of accounting, and the assumption that religious donations are are used for good, which are not necessarily true. And think about all the laws that have been bent in favor of religion. Uh, There's a big story in the paper today about um, child care here in in Texas and how how so many kids are dying and being abused and stuff. Not much mention of religion, but it turns out the religious child care is more or less exempt from all the laws. And and so we have people dying in the child care where – there, there are supposedly regulations and laws, but now here we got the religious child care with, with very little oversight and, uh, you know, subsidies, tax subsidies and all this good stuff and kind of stifles competition. Uh, hate is certainly something that, that can be leveraged to uh, control the masses and nothing gets your base riled up and increases your power like fomenting hate. God hates the infidels, the Muslims, the Jews, the witches, the gays, and so on. And so should the believer. Uh, fear is another another good one. Uh, here in Texas, the transsexuals are out to get the children in bathrooms, and and we got to be afraid of them. Um, not really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the other thing is, you know, I I know, and throwing my Southern Baptist uh, hat back on, we didn't actually have hats, but it's figurative. Uh, this notion of hate. Sitting in the pew for all those years, if anyone told me that I was being instructed to hate others on behalf of religion, I would have told them they were nuts. That is not what it is. It's, it's about love. However, it is undeniable that when you have the us and them mentality and when you put yourself and the people around you who share your beliefs in a position where we are superior, we are morally superior, that is a form of hate or disparagement against other people. It is, it is very much a, this is our club, and we're the good guys, and we have to stand in opposition. We don't hate them, though. We, you know, love the sinner, hate the sin. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I accept that I can care about someone and despise what they're doing. So love the sinner, hate the sin is, is potentially a real thing. The problem is, what is the effect of that? If you're trying to reach out to people to convince them that they're doing something wrong or that they need to side with you on issues— if it's immediately read as a personal thing, then it has to be viewed as hatred by those people. It reminds me of the difference between explicit racism and implicit racism, or you can sub in whatever bigotry you want, where there's a difference between I hate this group of people because they're black or Asian or Mexican or whatever it is, whatever the category is. Um, that is the sort of explicit hatred and bigotry. 
Then there's the implicit one, which is I don't hate those people, but I'm supporting legislation that essentially marginalizes marginalizes them, takes away their rights, and other, you know, because I value this other thing more. Mm-hmm. And it's a way of convincing yourself that you're not being bigoted, that you're not being hateful, when in fact you are. You, I mean, you don't have to put on a hood and run around burning crosses to be racist or to have your actions essentially be racist, and that's the kind of hatred that. Yeah. It's, it's the yeah. There's some insidious stuff there. The 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 soft bigotry of, of lowered expectations. Okay, it's the soft hatred of that as well. Well, and I think that there's this message that goes along with it that that people who are in church are inherently good or inherently you know because they're church going these sorts of things and so oh, I would have disagreed with that too. It influences uh, people's yeah. self image. I think it's one of those things where. I like growing up. You knew there were people in the church who were bad. You, you just did. Uh, I mean, there's, okay. there's gossip, at the, at, you know, and there's the potlucks and everything. You knew there were people in church that are bad, and the Bible would specifically point out that not, you know not everybody who says Lord Lord is is somebody who's a part of the flock. So you need to know them by their fruits. There's no test for who is or isn't a good person. None of us are good. Mm. None of it. We're all terrible. We're just forgiven, and that's that is the thing that comes up in Christianity a lot. Christians aren't perfect. They're just forgiven. Well, okay, congratulations for being forgiven. That tells me nothing about what kind of person you are. Yeah. Uh, it tells me nothing about whether or not you've actually been forgiven. You're just convinced you are. I'm not better than you. Right. It's just God likes me more than you. The stuff, the stuff that matters gets swept under the rug. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, uh, religion can be useful to kind of hide scams. And so we have uh, in the United States uh, and, and throughout the world the prosperity gospel, which is an o- obvious fraud where r- ministers are fleecing, fleecing that flock. And um, certainly the child molestation thing uh, has been a big deal and it's been covered up via church-state separation grounds, among other, among other things. Um, what about the scam of Marian apparitions? This is, this is an old one, right? The Catholic Church created large numbers of pilgrimage sites where Mary supposedly appeared and said hi-ho and did her thing. And um, th- these became pilgrimage sites where people came and were looking for cures or blessings or whatever and gave lots of money to the church. And this is a big moneymaker. For Catholics, yeah. Yeah. And uh, the subprime mortgage scam of the 2000s was carried out largely or, or to a large extent using black churches uh, where they where the mud people got their ghetto loans, according to the folks that were running the scam. <laughs> Isn't that pretty awesome? So if uh, stomach turning. <laughs> yeah. If you don't trust, uh, you know, these people who are doing these scams, why do you trust the older scam of Mary and Jesus? Uh, why are they telling? Why why do you think they're telling the truth about that? Okay, so religion is useful, but as a vehicle for the unscrupulous to manipulate the gullible, and religions often promise an eternal and infinite reward for some finite and seemingly small payment in this lifetime. Uh, follow Jesus and tithe, and you'll be saved. Uh, is the ultimate scam, as far as I'm concerned, and that's just another failure of religion and Christianity. Yeah, I, I gave it. I've talked a few times about, uh, and I'll start by saying prayer works, and then I go on to explain what I mean uh, about the cave in. I don't need to do it again here today. Uh, but this notion that religion is useful, of course it is. Uh, anything that can be used to motivate and guide people, whether it's true or false, can be useful. 
The question for me is, what is it benefiting? And as you pointed out, by and large, it seems that religions tend to just work to benefit the religions themselves, the the churches, the the various ministry opportunities and stuff. I'm not convinced that they've done much on behalf of religion to better the world. Now, it's true that we have hospitals that are created and run by churches and universities are created and run by churches. Those things are definitely, by and large, good things, even though many of the religious hospitals have policies that uh, need to be changed, mm-hmm. that, that need to come in line with proper science and, and medicine. But when you when you take a look at what they're doing, it's nice that there's a university, but we don't need religion for a university. It's nice that there's a hospital, but we don't need religion for a hospital. And so this story, this way of motivating people, whether motivating people, whether it's true or not, is getting in the way of doing education correctly, of doing medicine correctly. And so, by and large, I look at it as this isn't religion giving you a university. It's people giving you a university. Religions have this preferential status where people are just expected to give the money. Mm-hmm. If anything, that's, that's the power. We're, we don't, you know, we, we, we raised a, a bunch of money last week across Talk Heathen and Atheist Experience. It was great. We had a little fun with it. Uh, we'll probably do things like that from, from time to time. Uh, we're a donation-run volunteer organization, but we also have our books open to the public. So you can see that, hey, I donated $50 to the ACA, and they used it to, I don't know, go to a strip club and have fun. <laughs> it, you would be able to see that stuff. You have no idea where your money is going when you donate to a church because they don't have to open the books. And the thing is, if they were doing something that was clearly in the public good, then there should be no problem with them opening the books and showing that's what they're doing. Right. Right. Good accounting and accountability is a good thing. Transparency is a good thing. Uh, on that note, we're going to move to calls in yes, just a second. But I wanted to uh, mention the newsletter, um, which I think they have a, a graphic up they're going to put up on the screen. Um, we've done newsletters at different times. If you go to any of the social media stuff, the Facebook page, et cetera, uh, the Atheist Community, Atheist Cyber Community website, you should be able to uh, to get to this as well. And um, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say, but I think there's going to be a special edition of it going out to ACA members at some point. Um, this is what I this this is me knowing half of what's going on. Right, right. So it comes out at the end of the month, I believe. That's my understanding. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's one of those things. There, there are uh, you know, magazines and print media have largely been killed off by the internet. But it's there's a there's a segment of the population who would actually like to hold something in their hand to be able to set something on their coffee table, not just, you know, if you think about it, if you wanted to, like, casually let somebody know when they came over to your house <laughs> that you were a godless heathen, having a magazine or a coffee table book like Chris Johnson's book uh, out on your table kind of lets them know that. Otherwise, you'd have to, like, leave your tablet open to the ACA <laughs> website or with a video. Of the, that, that's kind of awkward. You don't want folks to see your browser history. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't even want you to see the other tabs I currently have open right now. Uh, on that note, we're going to <laughs> we're going to go to uh, Jason in uh, Fairbanks, Alaska, who helped us out uh, pre-show to make sure that the phones were working. Thanks for waiting, Jason. Hi, thank you. Uh, although you wait, did you change your topic, or did no, I change people? I, 
I I accidentally got hung up on or maybe my phone hiccuped or whatever, and I called back and I probably stated it slightly differently. Yeah, because before it said something about uncertainty, and now it says something about okay non hypoth well, Anyway, well, let's ahead. tell the audience what it is. Okay, <laughs> okay. Ahead, well, I wanted to talk to Matt about the no hypothesis uh, when it comes to historicity of well, Jesus specifically, but just generally because. I think what I've heard Matt say before is that the null hypothesis is that we assume a character is real until proven otherwise, and that feels backwards to me. So that, what I've said is that's the way historians generally operate, that if someone is written about and spoken about as if they were a real person, if there aren't the hallmarks there of fiction or uh, that we just go with the assumption that this was probably a real person. Um, that's just a matter of kind of necessity, practicality for historians. It doesn't mean that they just de facto assume that everybody they hear about lived. And, and it's problematic, too, because if you go with the, the general view of history, uh, or the way historians tend to work, it's, okay, Jesus is being spoken about as if he actually existed, so we'll run with that assumption, essentially. So outside the specialized domain of historians, what, what would be the null hypothesis? What, is it, what does that mean and and what would that look like for the general case? So I, I did a video on null hypothesis, so that's probably quicker and easier than trying to do it here. But essentially, um, it is the the hypothesis to be disproven, essentially, to, to establish a position. Um, my, my view of this, when it comes to the historical Jesus, uh, I have no problem with the notion that there may be a real person at some level you know, behind the stories. Uh, but I don't think it's it's been established that the person existed and certainly hasn't been established that we have an accurate record of his words and deeds or that the miracles that supposedly happened, you know, we don't have evidence for those things actually happening. Uh, oh, okay, I mean, yeah. So I, I guess um, it just seems to me like, and I was, I only got a BA or a BS actually because the University of Oregon does that. I got a BS in history, and I don't know that I would um, assume a character is historical just because everyone else does. That just seems like, because I, I don't understand how you could have proof that something is not historical, right? Like, well, how, would, how would you go about proving, for instance, that Hercules is non historical? Sure. Like, there isn't some character that. It doesn't matter. Heavily fictionalized. So, it doesn't matter. Here's the, here's the thing. Uh, it's not up to us to prove that Hercules didn't exist. The burden of proof is on the people who are saying that he did exist. And by and large, if you, if you look at the way things are written about, uh, Hercules is written about only in the context of, you know, miraculous, uh, supernatural, heroic. heroic story things. And so it could be the case that there was a Hercules. But if you list all of the things that are claimed about Hercules and get rid of all the things that we can't prove, there's pretty much nothing left. Same, same for Jesus. If you get rid of all the things that we cannot right. confirm, there's nothing left. So this is why I say I have no problem with the notion that there may have been an actual person uh, at the foundation of this, but we know virtually nothing about them. So okay. when we the, the, the assumption, and I'm not saying that all historians by and large do this, it's there's a, a process by which you read something and from the surrounding context, you know, Harry Potter doesn't exist. We, we have a history of Harry Potter being an intentionally created fiction. Now, it could be that that entire universe is real and J.K. Rowling has been tapping into that universe and relaying stories to us. But 
that is that is at the preposterous level where somebody would have to work ages to but sort that out. It sounds like though your advice right. is not to worry so much about the person but worry about the claims right, yeah. about that person. Because here's the thing. Either Jesus existed or he didn't. If we assume that he existed, what then do we get? Well, that, we don't get to assume that he raised the dead or healed the sick. Those are all actions that would need their own supporting evidence. It's just like, you know, in a thousand years, somebody could uh, assume that I existed and was a real person because we've lost all footage of everything I've ever done or said. But if there's a story that I flapped my wings and flew to the moon and came back with gold rocks and green cheese, um, <laughs> that requires its own evidence. And the fact that I somebody would be correct in assuming that I existed doesn't mean that they're correct in any other assumptions about me. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I guess it does. I, it just, um, I don't know, still feels a little bit like there's a, maybe a special pleading going on with Jesus because there are so many people who already believe that he's a real character that they're just assuming it because of the belief and then believing it because everyone assumes it. Yeah, well, but, but the problem, if if there was a you know itinerant rabbi running around at the beginning of the first millennia, so what? Yeah, and if somebody believes that Jesus actually existed, that's separate from what they believe about what he did. So I could I could grant Jesus actually existed, and we're still nowhere near Christianity. I can even grant right. that we have an accurate recording of his words. And we're still nowhere near establishing Christianity. Um, I could even, and this is a bit of a stretch, accept uh, that he did some of the things that are reported that we don't have explanations for, and it would still not get us Christianity because we don't get to presume an explanation. How did Jesus turn that water into wine? Was he a, you know, a prestidigitator? Um, was it some kind of trick? Did he have some, you know... Threw some money at the problem? Yeah, did he have a... <laughs> a, a, a Food replicator or, you know, <laughs> we don't know. So it's not hypocritical for somebody to say, you know what, because this person has been talked about so much as if they were a real person, I'm fine with the notion they existed. There's nothing hypocritical about that because hey, they're not necessarily asserting certainty uh, about that claim. And at the end of the day, it's ultimately an untestifiable and unfalsifiable claim. Because I don't have a time machine. I don't know how I would prove that Jesus didn't exist, which is probably my biggest gripe with some of the mythicists. Now, they can make a case that, okay. that it's more reasonable than not to consider Jesus a myth. And I think they're right when you um, take into consideration all the things that are claimed about Jesus. I just don't think that it there's a justification to reach the conclusion, Jesus never existed. I, I can't get there. Well, you boil it okay. down, there's precious I, little there. Yeah. What, I mean, but we did do that with a formerly uh, accepted, quote-unquote, historical character with Moses, right? I mean, that's exactly what happened. was eventually got to the point where the community said, all right, nope, didn't exist. No. If, if there's somebody out there who's saying, okay, Moses didn't exist, I fundamentally disagree with them. I don't know how you can establish, est establish that Moses did not exist. My, my position on Moses is I have no idea if he existed or not. How would you, what would be the reason to say that there was not a person, you know, who was a leader of a group of people that we have stories about? 
Okay. I, I guess I misunderstood some of the things that I've heard uh, you and, and Richard, Dr. Carrier talk about. Oh, Richard and I disagree. My, okay. Well, because my understanding was that the, the, the community consensus now is that Moses is most likely a fictional character. Yeah, I think that's a preposterous that you could say that that's a consensus position given the predominance of of Jews and Christians who are likely to believe that. You may say that it's a common position amongst historians, but I would then well, question their methodology, which is how did you falsify this? Okay. Well, I I think this is another case of uh, you got to look at the particular stories, you know, for, for someone to have lived that long, no. For somebody to have written about their own death, no. <laughs> somebody wandering the writing about their the own desert, death thing is... Uh, I don't think yeah, so. Not, not anyone this side of a highlander maybe. The, the, only thing, the only thing they're writing about the own death thing, it just shows that Moses didn't write that particular passage, which is not that remarkable to me that yeah. somebody could have lived and wrote, written stuff and then somebody came along and was like, I'm going to finish Moses' work by saying, and Moses died here. Uh, but it, it could just be that the assumption that Moses was the author um, uh, of the the first five books of, of the Old Testament is just wrong. That, yes. that there are other authors and yet Moses may have existed independently. But at the end of the day, and this is why it frustrates me so much, there's no way that I'm aware of to realistically to a strong degree of confidence demonstrate that Moses or Jesus actually existed or to demonstrate that they actually did not exist. It's just one of those things and, and neither position gets us anything. It could be entirely reasonable for me to think that they both existed but we don't know much about them. And it could be entirely reasonable for me or anybody else to say, you know what, given the fact that here's 100 things attributed to Moses and 99 of them are fables and, you know, stuff that has no evidentiary support that we can just throw it all out. My only objection is to throwing out the one. Mm. Because we know we make up stories about people and we exaggerate. Um, is it reasonable to conclude that Moses never existed? Yeah, it may in fact be. I think it may be a case. It's just I don't know how you would claim that this is the case rather than it's reasonable, you know, you, you could reasonably come down on either side of this. So you're well, an I suppose that's why I, I feel like the null hypothesis should be that he doesn't exist because if, if he did exist and the potential exists for there to be some proof that he existed. Sure. Right? But, okay. In, in the same way that Julius Caesar or Alexander, uh, Alexander the Great definitely existed because we can show evidence that they existed. Yes, that's the case for some figures in history. It's not the case for all figures in history. There are clearly people who existed who we know nothing about. Right. And there are people um, who may have existed, and all the things that we know about them are not true. So you have to distinguish between was there a person at the center of the story and the stories blew up, or was there no person at the center of the story and the stories blew up? You know, was Paul Bunyan a real person? Was King Arthur a real person? What about the relationship between Plato and Socrates? Um, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether or not Socrates existed for me to evaluate what is attributed to, to him and evaluate those sayings on their own merits. And the same thing's true for Jesus. I can go through the Sermon on the Mount, and I have, and it doesn't matter whether right. Jesus existed or said it, I can evaluate those things based on what he said or what he claimed he said. Yeah, I, my my only issue with the mythicist is that some of them, I think, go a step too far. And some of them, 
in the process of going too far, uh, delve into basically conspiracy theories. I mean, there were, there were people who were like, oh, Christianity was invented in the 4th century by the Pope and the Masons. Well, how'd you get a pope? How'd you get a pope well, you, pre-Christian? You, you, you mentioned you mentioned Masons, yeah. and you're you're already off the rails. Right? But, <laughs> and and yet, I challenge you to pick up a book from a handful of mythicists that does not go there. Oh my goodness! Okay, not all, but some. <laughs> anyway, I feel like we've gotten kind of far afield, but uh, hopefully that was clarifying a little bit, Jason. I appreciate the call. Okay, thank you much. Thank you. All right, we have uh, Tracy in California. Thanks for waiting. Well, hello, Matt and Don. How are you guys today? We're great. It's it's nice to hear your voice. Awesome. What what do you got? Thank you. Well, today what I've got, I'm actually a little under the weather, but when I saw you two were on, I had to call. (laughs) All right. You know know we can't catch it over the phone, right? Thank goodness, because you don't want it. Trust and believe. I I have been down for the past three days. (laughs) Um, So I have kind of a fun, lighthearted question today. Um, I know there isn't a one-size-fits-all for atheists when it comes to celebrating Christmas, but I'm curious, how do you guys celebrate Christmas? And before you answer, I'm one of these Christmas nuts that listens to the music in July. So I'm that person. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to let Don take this, but I'm going to point out that Beth and I did an entire video, which is on YouTube, about Atheist Christmas okay. with all of our thoughts about it. And uh, yeah, I'll let Don address oh, this and you can goodness. watch the video for mine. <laughs> I, Thank you. I'm sorry. I didn't even know that. I I, uh, I try to ignore it mostly. Uh, I I enjoy the parties. <laughs> I enjoy uh, the family thing. I kind of like the trees and the and the decorations, but I'm too lazy to put them up myself. So uh, I'm kind of a ho hum. Ho-hum on the thing. All right. I'm not going to just point you to the video. <laughs> yeah, you, you have a much better answer than I do. <laughs> Beth and I actually went out and did research. Uh in a, in a variety of different ways, one of which is every year for years, we would drive around and look at the lights that people put up in various neighborhoods all around Austin because we weren't going to – and, you know, on our road trip visiting family, we would look at decorations there. Um, uh-huh. The number of decorate, Christmas decorations that were um, completely secular, that had nothing religious in them, outweighed the ones that had any religious symbols in them at all. You drive through the neighborhood, you're going to see, you know, snowmen and Snoopy and lights and maybe no religious symbology at all. And then you're going to see a nativity scene or, and we even gave them credit just for a star, even though I didn't want to include the star. (laughs) uh, We gave them credit for that. So we, we went around and did that. The other thing is that I, over the years, I've talked to a bunch of people. I'm convinced that if, if you went pick a church and stood outside the church and asked people as they passed to give you answers to questions. You did this in like June. And you would say, what are the, what's the first thing you think of when you hear Christmas? I'm willing to bet that Jesus does not top the list and that Jesus may not even hit the top five. Mm-hmm. Um, because what everybody tends to, when, when I grew up, there was the religious Christmas, Christ Mass, Right. And then there was the secular Christmas, and the secular Christmas was the fun stuff. It was the Santa Claus well, and the presents for kids. Yeah, and but you know, you, 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 
people view it as a time to get together with family, to have uh, to dinner, <laughs> you know, and have fun and these other things. Uh, there's there are two Christmases, and the secular one has predominantly won out. You know this, and and the that's why you get this keep Christ in Christmas stuff. It's an admission that they are losing. That the religion that they stole from other people and tried to turn into something significant, a, a, a holiday which has been banned by Christian organizations, Puritans, etc., um, is now predominantly secular. And so the thing is, it's my a very take, interesting history. Yeah, and my take is celebrate whatever the hell you want for whatever reason you That's want. Right. Nobody gets to. You're not a crappy atheist if you put up a Christmas tree. <laughs> Which, which yeah. is why there's a picture of me and Beth with my tree. There's a picture of Dawkins with his tree. You know, he's not. Just don't. Just don't claim the candy canes are, are for Jesus and oh my red gosh. and white. And <laughs> that's just going over the top. Yeah, it's not a J for Jesus. It's a shepherd's hook for Jesus. You know, my church. My church actually. Um, taught that. They said, you know, if you flip it upside down, it's J for Jesus. <laughs> yeah, except his name is Yeshua. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Let, let's oh, focus oh, only oh, on English. Yeah, when I was growing up, it was a it was a, a shepherd's hook. Oh, okay. And that's how they tied it to oh. Jesus. And the truth is, it's neither of those things. It's a piece of damn candy. <laughs> that's right. That I never eat. <laughs> it's probably hooked so they can hang it on the tree. Yeah. <laughs> that would right. be my guess. Or, <laughs> or that's know. the way you drive. <laughs> you know, I wanted to ask that because um, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm just... I'm a very happy type of person, and Christmas really brings that out of me. And so my thing is, I never want to offend people when I tell them, hey, Merry Christmas, or, you know, I've got my lights on outside. You know, I just want to make sure that it wouldn't offend. I don't care. It's atheist. You don't don't care. Offense is taken. If somebody's offended that you put up your Christmas lights, that's their problem. Uh-huh. If somebody doesn't want to celebrate, okay. by all means, there's no requirement or expectation. But it is, oh, we can now say Merry Christmas again, thanks to Trump. Well, you could always say it, and you could say it to me and lots of other people. Now, it's nice to be— this war on Christmas thing is just makes us roll our eyes. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's nice for you to do what you're doing, which is I want to be considerate of other people. And— Sure, by all means, you can say happy holidays, and the only people who are going to be pissed that you said happy holidays are the people who really want you to say Merry Christmas. Other than that, nobody cares. <laughs> but but I have friends who look at it, especially people who were raised uh, Jewish or Muslim, whatever, who feel separate from the culture surrounding Christmas, and so it feels like uh, a passive-aggressive attack to say Merry Christmas. And certainly you could make it that. It just doesn't have to be that. And if somebody gets bothered, that's their problem. Well, you know, and I worked in one of those big box retailers. um, I won't say the name for for fear I'm not allowed to. But, um, you know, I had a really nice Muslim family come through my line last year. And we, I've never met a stranger. So I was asking them, hey, you know, what do you guys do during the month of December? Um, And I guess... In Islam, they don't have much going on in December, but the lady said, you know, but what she would like to see personally is she said that she understands that Christmas is supposed to be about Jesus. But like Matt said earlier, Jesus has been largely taken out of it. She said, why don't Christians return 
to what it's supposed to be about. So that was interesting. Some do. I know I know plenty of Christians who do not celebrate Christmas specifically because it is a secular tradition that it doesn't have anything to do with really? Jesus. Yeah. Both denominationally, you know, but also just individuals. Would be in that category, yeah. right? Yeah. I'll be darned. Wow. Yeah, there's all sorts of variation out there and a rich history and you can grab I, onto any part of it you want. Cuz even if the guy existed, yeah. he wasn't born in December. I agree. Yep. Yeah, they don't necessarily know when he was born. October. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've heard it was somewhere in October, so hey. I heard it was I heard it was in the early spring, who knows. Uh, who knows? It's the day we picked. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, President's Day, we do that for... Saturnalia got co-opted, so you can go yeah. even even farther back if you want. <laughs> yeah, at the, at the end of the day, there's very few ideas or traditions uh, in modern religions that weren't merely co-opted from, you know, past religions. Um, my thing is, the parts of Christmas that I enjoy, and this year, you know, I didn't put up any lights, I'm not putting up a tree, I am going to go, you know, visit some family members... Um, but the parts of it that I, I enjoy are completely secular. When somebody tells me Merry Christmas, I know what they really mean is, hi, I'm trying to be pleasant to you most yes. of the time. Right. Um, yeah. the, the sentiment matters more than anything else, right? You know, I, there are plenty mm-hmm. of other things to be really concerned about. And Christmas, the way I view it, is the sort of holiday that I would be in favor of inventing and manufacturing if it didn't already exist. Um, <laughs> You know, it, it may be good for the economy. Right. It may be good for, you know, people's mood. Uh, and, it, you know, yeah. pointing out that it's going to be bad for some people's mood, that's true of everything, too. Who doesn't like to get presents? Good grief. There you go. <laughs> there, there's somebody. They they just yelled at you while they were listening to this. I don't like getting presents. Oh, no. it, it's true. They you, need you, to let me come over. I'll, I'll fix them. <laughs> anyway. Well, guys, okay. thank you. All right, so thank much you. For Thanks, Tracy. My call. And Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry I'm, godless I'm, fucking I'm, Christmas. <laughs> we beat her to it. See? I think, it, I think if all the atheists just started saying that, Merry godless fucking Christmas, I think everybody would get over the war on Christmas stuff. It's fine. It'd be, a, it'd be a good laugh anyway. And the, the thing is, <laughs> if you think about it, um, there are other religious holidays that did not become. Sec- overwhelmingly secular and celebrated by people culturally. And, and Christmas is is the one that is clearly as much or more cultural than religious. It's not like Easter is popular. Mm-hmm. You know, they even, they got a bunny and chocolates and they tried, but still, Easter is not that's Christmas. That's the fertility angle. Yeah, that's that from them stealing the fertility <laughs> Esther God stuff. The little bunny, uh, the chickens and the chicks uh, and all that, yeah. But, you know, <laughs> yes, list off religious holidays there, there's virtually none of them that are cultural phenoms the way Christmas is. Yes. And you just have to recognize that the things that we care about, the things that we cherished, you know, when I watch all the Rankin and Bass animated specials, you know, Heat Miser and Snow Miser and those things, <laughs> yeah. uh, I relish the fact that there are Christians who are pissed off that that's what Christmas has become, and so I want to do Christmas even harder. <laughs> okay. Ah, you're not taking my godless Passing fucking Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> giving it over to your Jesus guy. So, yes, maybe it is a little passive-aggressive, but passive-aggressive <laughs> coming from the, the godless heathens like me. Okay. We've got uh, Bernie in uh, Washington. How are you doing? Well, if I can stay awake, 
Um, and it's not you guys' fault. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's cold up here. And um, no prediction of snow. <clears throat> but we're in the eastern half of the state, which is desert. Yes. Not I've been greens. up there. Yeah, it's not uh, green on this side of the state. Cause we've got you're you're coffee, in West you've Idaho. You've got good onions up there. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I've been thinking about this for a long time. That And, of course, uh, there's debate uh, open for this. Um, that all of the uh, fossils and um, rocks and stuff like that show that there's a God, but it's not at all like the normal Christian would think of as God. <clears throat> because what, what does it show, and, and why would we use the God label for it? Right. Maybe, well, maybe define God, because I'm a little lost. Uh-huh. Well, uh, find, <clears throat> find them in the fossils and the rocks and the stuff like that that's been around for billions of years. And the fossils especially are, are in this because um, as, as, uh, the foss- as life changes, um, he must have something to do with it. But it's taken whoa, whoa, billions whoa, whoa. of years just as science shows. Okay, so you just said he must have something to do with it. So uh-huh. that's a personification of God. We still kind of need you to define God, but also, and I, when you say, you know, you look at the fossils, it's clear that he must have had something to do with it. That's the exact opposite of the conclusion of evolutionary science. Um, there's no need well, I, to propose I, I any sort of God. That he, yeah, I believe in evolution, that he's caused evolution, and here's why, because as the animals change <clears throat> from bacteria on up, uh, some of them, for some reason, change rather rapidly. And we don't know why sometimes that this has occurred. So, so I, I would agree with you that we don't always know why. But if the answer is, I don't know why, how could you possibly say, oh, the why is God? It Either we know or we don't know. Oh, okay. Well, that's... That's um, true that I don't hold a, a 100% uh, belief in, in my saying. It doesn't need to be 100%. I'm saying oh, okay. you're reaching the conclusion that when we don't know something, God is the explanation. Uh, I reach the conclusion that God might not be the explanation, but it it makes more sense to me that maybe he is. But he's not a, he's not a God that you can talk to and pray to how do you know that any effect on anything how, how do you know that you, you seem to know a lot about god's characteristics and we still who is this god what is this and god and how do no we know effect then then how is it t- tinkering with evolution <laughs> he, he, he has he has helped to guide in some cases not all evolution how do you know that well, because of the sudden unexplained changes in some no, evolution. No, no. If they're sudden unexplained, then they're unexplained. Uh-huh. You are offering an explanation, and I'm asking, how do you know that your explanation is the right one or reasonable? Oh, okay. Well, I offer a theory on that then. Uh, an actual theory or theory as in I'm pulling something out of my butt theory? Because <laughs> okay, yeah. theory in science is something completely different. It is the highest uh-huh. graduation point of an idea and that has been uh-huh. tested and verified, etc. But go ahead, offer, because I'm confused. Oh, well, <laughs> I hope I can explain it because it's just 
as simple as that, that is my theory. Not someone else's theory, I think. Okay. How could how could somebody I we still don't know what your your theory is and I'll my, my use that language for now, but how would we go about verifying whether or not your theory is likely to be correct? Um, I don't have a explanation for that. Sure. So why would you believe it? If 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 you say I have a theory, I don't know how to possibly test it and show that it's correct, but I'm going to believe it anyway. Isn't that by definition irrational? Uh, I suppose. Okay. Do you? So, so I, my my Bernie theory is uh, irrational, but uh, it offers a possible. How do you know it's I'll possible? Emphasize possible. How do you know it's possible? <laughs> has has it ever been demonstrated that God, whatever, however you're defining him, that the God you're uh -huh. talking about is a possible explanation? Because there's no other explanation. No, no, no. That that is by definition a fallacy where you're saying that something is true because it can't be proven false or hasn't uh -huh. been. So, so then do you know every do you know every potential possible explanation for this conundrum? No. Then how do you know that there's no other explanation other than one you're reaching? Well, I guess it's kind of like reading a comic book and assuming that what the uh, Donald Duck did and then the story ends. Well, what happened after the story ends in the Donald Duck comic book? Uh, this is my theory. I, saying it's your theory yeah, yeah. does not get us. So you yeah, you have a theory. More, we're more interested in what's true. And you don't know how to test it. And you've acknowledged uh -huh. it, that it would be irrational to believe this without knowing a way to test it. Well, now, God can't be, you know, the theory of God can't be tested, but... My, then how could you ever be rationally justified in believing test, it? Uh, yeah, maybe somebody smarter than me can test my theory. I, I don't. I don't necessarily know that it, that's an issue of being smarter. It, it is until you. If it, let's say somebody smarter than all of us comes along and finds a way to test your theory, uh -huh. and they find out that your theory is correct. Ooh! Wow. Let, yes. Does that mean that you are justified right now in believing that it's correct? Um, no, they'd have to convince myself that I'm correct. You're already convinced you're correct. Well, no, I'm not. I'm open for the possibility that I'm not correct. Okay. Listen to that sentence. I'm open for the possibility that I'm not correct. By definition, that means you think you're correct and you're waiting to be proved wrong. Okay, sure, that works too. So, so you, like you are now does. convinced, and yet you don't have a good reason to be convinced. So do you care about whether or not something's true? Of course. Well, you say of course, but people who care about whether or not something's true are not going to openly acknowledge that they believe something without good reason and are waiting to be proved wrong and hoping that somebody smarter comes along to prove that they're right. That's not the way reasoning works. If you care about truth... Well, then your your answer to this, hey, why do why does the fossil record show changes more to some species over a given amount of time than another? What is the explanation for that? Your answer has to be, I don't know. Uh huh. But I offer that as a possibility, just like the Big Bang theory. Okay, I offer as a possibility um, species manipulating pixies. These pixies, every now and then, in the in the 
course of our history, come in and manipulate some uh, creatures more than others. Is that a possible? Is that a possible explanation? Yes. How do you know that's possible? Wouldn't no, wouldn't possible. you need to know that pixie? What if what if it is impossible for pixies to exist? What if it's impossible for species manipulating DNA manipulating pixies to exist? What if those in fact are not possible? You're now saying they're possible. They're theoretically possible. I don't give a rat's ass. <laughs> if your if your if your model is indistinguishable from other things. Hey, how do we know it's not pixies? Okay, so you've agreed with me that it's possible that DNA-manipulating pixies are an explanation. How do you tell the difference between your preferred explanation of God and the DNA-modifying uh, pixies? So now we have two possible explanations. You said that God was the right one because it was the only possible explanation, and now you've just acknowledged another possible explanation. How do you tell which of those two might be right? by lots and lots of theoretical uh, evaluation and testing. I, Have I, you done any of that? Um, just by plain observation and coming to that conclusion. Yeah, that's, that's not the way you test for something. And now you're in a position where you previously said there's no explanation other than God. And now you're in a position where you've acknowledged multiple possible explanations, and we, we just went with the first one. I imagine we could come up with a, a nearly infinite series of uh -huh. potentially possible explanations. And so you're well, picking one over the but others. The, but, but it's no different than the Big Bang Theory. We don't no. know, but we, that's our best guess. It's not a guess. It's got a lot of evidence behind it. Big Bang, the Big well, Bang model, even if it ultimately turns out to be incorrect, is currently... Uh -huh the best explanation of all of the available facts, and there aren't facts that contradict it. Your, uh -huh. your proposed explanation of God did it not only has no explanatory power, it doesn't tell us anything about how God did it or if God did it, but you have just acknowledged that it's up there with DNA-manipulating pixies. And so now we have two, by your own admission, potential explanations, and you're picking one. Do you have any data that shows that yours is more likely than the pixies? I go to the John Day fossil beds, or I go to uh, Crater Lake and look at the laters, or I go to um, the Grand Canyon and look at all the layers. Hey, look, I can see that these have changed over time. It's like How the work of pixies sudden, to me. Sudden change here, but not there. You, you are describing the change when I'm asking about the explanation for the change. Going out and looking at striations in, in rock layers... That is observing the question. Now we want to know what is the explanation for that? And you say it's God, and I say it's pixies. And we, we need to figure out which one of us is likely to be correct. So the question okay. was, do you have data that shows that your God explanation is more probable than the pixies? No, I do not. Okay, then why would you believe that you, why would you accept that you have the best explanation when you have no data to support that? I have the best possible explanation, not the... Uh, the rock hard explanation. <clears throat> I don't think it's the best one. <laughs> okay. I, I don't think it's an explanation at all, let alone the best one, let alone a possible one, let alone the best possible one. You are looking at this and you are beginning with the notion of stories about a God who can do anything. And so, of course, God is sufficient to explain the diversity of life, but the issue is whether or not he's necessary and sufficient. Okay. Uh, you, you got me stumped. <laughs> okay. 
Let me throw one more thing in here just to, you know, fast in evolutionary terms is like hundreds of thousands of years or millions of years. So, so right. you know, it's relatively fast compared to whatever, but uh, there's there's nothing that we have found in the fossil or DNA evidence that lends itself to a supernatural explanation. There's there's there are plenty of natural explanations that that would would meet that. I mean, I think it's unusual that it was relatively fast then, and and it does beg for some sort of explanation or some sort of more research. It's an interesting question, but but. Uh, there's, there's really no need for a god here. Yeah, if you look at, for example, comparing humans with our closest uh, share, shared ancestors, um, we, we know that the, one of the differences between us and great apes is the fusing of chromosome 2. And through detailed investigation, we can show where the centromeres and telomeres actually fuse. There's an overlapping thing there. And so we're making, as in all scientific explanations, an inference or an abductive inference to the, to the best explanation. But it didn't have to be that way. It didn't have to be the, the case that we were able to identify a chromosome that, or a pair of chromosomes that, that were fused um, between us and what all the other evidence was pointing to as a, as a shared common ancestor. And yet that's what we find. And the process by which those uh, DNA replication errors occur is entirely natural. It happens all the time. What There's nothing supernatural about it. So you're looking at humans and saying humans are different from other great apes. And I think the best explanation for that is that God tinkered. And scientists are looking at humans and other great apes and saying, huh, here's this fused chromosome which is entirely natural. There's no need to s- suppose a, a god or a supernatural explanation for this. And yet you're sticking by God tinkered. How do you tell when God tinkered and when it was just natural? You can't prove either one. Okay. So that's why mine is just a theory. It's just like a crime scene. No, it's not a theory. I'm done allowing you to use the word theory in that way. Uh, oh, sounds like that, a guess to me. That, <laughs> what you're talking about doesn't even qualify as a hypothesis because it's not testable. It is just oh. a wild-ass guess. It is, this is my preferred reason for this. It has no data behind it. It has no reason behind it. And it stands in the face of what we know. So if, if, you're, if you've reached the conclusion that God tinkers and you acknowledge that there's no way to reach that conclusion, that is by definition irrational. Oh, okay. It's, to me, it's kind of like a crime scene or accident investigation scene. And sometimes the investigator is right, and sometimes the investigator is wrong. Sometimes I'm Correct. right. Sometimes I'm wrong. And, and you know, when, when you're investigating an accident scene, you gather data, and then you look for potential explanations. And you do that by looking at a pool of known explanations. Any accident investigator who comes on a scene and looks around and gathers it up and says, God struck this car with lightning and caused it to crash into a tree and then made sure that the person who was launched through the window landed safely without any damage um, <laughs> other than being dead, you know, just boom, dead. You don't get to offer up God as potential explanations for those things. If I said to you, hey, socks have gone missing from the dryer and I think God is stealing my socks. 
you, you would look at me like I had three heads. No, it's gremlins for sure. Well, the investigation of Jack the Ripper, they think they've proven who it is, but because they weren't there, they can't prove it one way no, or the other. No, not just because they weren't there. So, wow, this is so confusing. Um, yeah. We, the answer is, the answer to the question, do we know who was Jack the Ripper? The answer is no, we don't know. We have a number of hypotheses that haven't necessarily proved out. Um, and so we're in this position where the only reasonable answer we can give is we don't know. What if somebody came to you and said, I think Jack the Ripper was Satan? <laughs> well, that's just as possible, I guess. It's not just as possible. A, oh. a being that no one has any evidence for, that we have no way of showing actually exists, we don't know anything about, we don't know how, whether it exists, how powerful it is, that cannot, by definition, be just as likely as a human being, which we know exists. Oh, okay, yeah. So it's not just as likely. But by, by the way, um, God is both the devil and, <laughs> and okay. who some people think he is. He's, he's evil as well as maybe some good. If there is a God, and I kind of doubt except a I, little I, tiny I, bit of way if I think of it. I, 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 don't, I apologize. I apologize left and right, Bernie. I have no idea what to do with you because you've offered up God. <laughs> you've offered up God as the best explanation for things that are all the evidence points to as being naturally occurring. Uh, you've acknowledged there's no way to test this. Now you want to, when we asked for a definition of God earlier, we didn't quite get one, but now God and Satan are essentially the same thing. Uh, anything yeah. else you want to throw in there that's completely unfalsifiable, untestable? Uh, no, I suppose I better stop while I'm while behind. I'm not even ahead. First, first rule of holes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Stop digging. <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll tell you this, and maybe, maybe this will help a little bit. I can absolutely appreciate, Bernie, the frustration with being in a position where we don't know an answer. And I can absolutely appreciate why some people are convinced that God is the best explanation. But the reason they're convinced of that is because someone has convinced them that this God claim is possible or likely to be true and can serve as an explanation. But the truth is, we don't know that it's true. We don't know that it's possible. And we have no evidence that it actually is an explanation for anything. This is, it's a reason why it's indistinguishable from pixies or, you know, unicorns or whatever else. And it right. stops you from looking for the right answer. Well, I, I keep on looking, and that's my latest theory. Okay. <laughs> I, I would start by going to Talk Origins on the web uh, and looking at what scientists and experts actually have to say about evolution about talkorigins.org yeah talkorigins.org there's a lot of good information there and and uh -huh. that will also get you to you know i'm not i don't cry a river the second somebody uses theory in a colloquial sense it's just we need to make sure we distinguish when you start saying that it's just as viable as big bang or anything else it, those things are not in the same category at all one is a mathematical model that is the current best explanation of the origins of the universe at least uh -huh. to the point where the math breaks down. And the other one might as well be a wild-ass guess. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, the word theory more, has different meanings. More evidence for the Big Bang Theory than not. And, and, the, and, you know, I have friends that are working on other cosmological models that might show that our current Big Bang cosmological model is not fully accurate. Yes, it explains things. In much the same way that, like, Newtonian physics... Um, 
breaks down. It's as, it's as close as they can come. And so my theory is as close as I can come. Uh, no, 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 no. It might be as far from the truth as possible. If you are accepting that a God tinkered when a God did not tinker, then your explanation is as far from the correct one as possible. Oh, darn. I, I thought it'd be the other way around. Oh. The closest to the best explanation right now is here's what the data are from scientific investigation, and this is the model that offers the best explanation. God isn't part of that. It's just like proving who Jack the Ripper is. There's just a few pieces missing to prove who. Okay. Anyway. There's I... a few pieces missing in my theory to prove how these evolutionary changes sometimes occurred quickly. So, so the question to ask yourself is, if there are things missing from your understanding, are they in fact missing from humanity's understanding? Some, yeah. of the things that, some of the things that you think we don't have an explanation for, perhaps we do and you're just not aware of it. Oh, well, that could be. So that's all I'm saying. I would advise you to go to talkorigins.org and other places and look into it and see what it is that other people think they know about this that you may not be aware of. Yep. Going to the fossil beds makes your head scratch. All righty. <laughs> Thanks, Bernie. Appreciate the call. Okay. Thanks, guys. Uh, Keep up the good work. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, I don't know what to do when somebody's like, uh, the devil and God are the same. I get that there's a, a ton of different weird theologies out there, and I know kind of know how they come about. Because when I found my way out of Christianity, it was not holy crap, the Bible isn't true, therefore there's no God. And you know, It was, there are problems with this story, but maybe there's some truth to cling on to in other areas. And then you keep digging and you keep, and eventually you find it was, well, I can't believe in this God, but what kind of God might actually be real? Mm -hmm. And that directs the search in a different way where you're dealing with philosophical questions and what can we verify and whether or not something's testable. And at the end of the day, it got to be the, I realized... I have no reason to think that any supernatural thing is in fact real. Um, because every time we seem to reach a conclusion where we say, oh, this cause is supernatural, it's because we've run out of other options and we just plug a god or something supernatural. Right, in. right. It almost reminds me of, uh, you know, hey, uh, Superman can fix this thing. Let's let's assume Superman did it, you know, uh the, the the blurring of fact and fiction seems kind of, uh, I don't know, pretty – or the, the line between the two seems rather blurred to me. I just posted a video this past month called Zebras in Wet Streets, and it's about – this guy had said basically, hey, if I walk outside and see the streets wet, it's reasonable for me to conclude that it rained. And, and the response to that is, well, it might be reasonable to conclude that it rained um, because when you walk out and you see the streets wet, you don't just get that bit of data. It's not just like, oh, the street is wet, therefore it rained. Well, that's false. Anybody, you know, everybody would realize the street could be wet for other reasons. When you walk outside, you're seeing the, the street's wet. Is the grass wet? Is the driveway wet? How far is it wet? You know, does it smell like rain? Is it cloudy out? Yeah. Uh, you know, is it, all of these things lead up to forming the conclusion that rain is reasonable. People use that. The particular individual is basically saying, if I walk out and the street's wet, it's reasonable for me to conclude it's raining. And they were comparing that to, if I look at the world, it's reasonable for me to conclude that a god created it. Mm -hmm. And the truth is, if that were the case, then people would be reasonable 
to walk out and see that the street was wet and conclude that God made the street wet. <laughs> if that line of reasoning were correct, right. it's clearly it not. applies everywhere, right? Uh, and so, we're, yes, we're constantly trying to find the best explanation. The bigger point, I think, is where people draw a line of, hey, there's enough information and data for this explanation that I'm going to tentatively give my assent to it. Uh, some people seem to just, well, almost everybody believes in a God, so I'm going to include it in the list of possibles. Well, since it explains everything, it explains nothing, right? Yeah. Uh, by the way, the Cambrian explosion was uh, two, 20 to 25 million years. So, Yeah, geological not, time and evolutionary time. That's yeah. right. It's not, a, it's not a eye blink. We don't need a lot of uh, you know, supernatural stuff here. Okay. All right. So we've got... Uh, Actually, you are bathing in dirt. Well, hello. 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 We've tuned into some other show where people are, are having a heated argument. Heated argument. Is this David in Washington? Oh, sorry. Yeah, that's me. Uh, sorry about that. We were uh, arguing mechanics on D&D. Okay. You were arguing what? Mechanics on d I, I can't understand. Uh, it doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Um, what you got for us today? <laughs> Uh, just real quick, I was going back to the shows. Love the show, huge fan. Um, I like to say, you know, Dawkins, Harrison, Hitchin uh, helps me get out of religion, and you guys helps me stay out of religion. All right. Uh, although, um, although it says here on the call screening app that you're a theist. Oh no, that should say atheist. Sorry. All right. I didn't mean to. Uh, I didn't mean to bump my uh, my call up. No, that's I fine. Prefer listening to you. Um, so I'll make this really fast. Um, I keep on hearing things about people saying that we can intuit design. Basically, they're saying we can look at something and immediately know accurately whether or not it was designed or natural. Um, two things that we've seen show that is a total lie is when we first saw a pulsar and um, its others. Uh, I can't remember the other one, but I'll just go with pulsars. So back in the 1960s was the first time we saw one of these, and they were so regular and such a specific radio wave, and we had never seen one like this before, anything like this in nature at all, that we thought it was alien intelligence. The British thought this was alien intelligence so much that they locked the project down and were having conversations in office on how they should break the news that there are aliens, that this was an intelligently designed signal from space, a radio signal from aliens, a code we just had to crack. Turns out, nope, pulsars rotate really um, regularly. 1.33 seconds, I think it is. And uh, they shoot out a very specific radio wave, which we had never run into before. So we thought there was intelligent design where it was just natural and we had never seen it before. We cannot intuit design. We, uh, we're, we're pretty bad at it, I agree. Yeah. Like, if we see something that we don't understand, that's the end of the thing. For anyone you know, I think evolution, getting back to evolution, has hardwired us to see agency when there isn't agency. Yeah. We're, we're, we, have, we tend to make that mistake just because of our evolutionary history. Okay. So, yeah. So uh, that, that was the entirety of my call. Like I said, it was going to be really fast. Okay. It's just a really quick, useful tool. That, uh, for On my side, every time someone's uh, tried to say, well, we know when something's designed, and I put that forward, it shut their side of the conversation yeah. down completely. Yeah, you, like, need, you need to really think about it and consider the evidence to, to make that sort of conclusion. Supernatural. We don't know everything, so we don't know if something's designed until we study it. Sounds good to me. 
Hey, um, you know, love your show. Uh, I'll get off the line so you can get a more interesting caller on. All right. Thank you, David. Right. Thanks. Bye. We have, uh, we have another David uh, this time in Virginia. How you doing? Hey, good. Hello, David. I, uh, hey, hey. Um, I am new uh, to this scene. I've only been listening to you guys for a couple of months. Matter of fact, I probably shouldn't admit it. What you haven't you haven't watched the twenty years of shows? <laughs> I'm sorry, we're going to have to there move on to another sycophantic yeah. caller. No, no, no. We're, we're, no teasing. Uh, we're teasing. Honestly, honestly, I I just discovered YouTube a couple of months ago, and I'm absolutely a gog. Well, that's amazing because you've just discovered yeah, YouTube. Yeah, yeah you've got some catching up to do. You, you know, we were around before YouTube, so I think it's unfair you discovered YouTube before us. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's kind of, it, but it, you know, I, I mean, I'm 61 years old, um, you know, spent 30 years as a college professor and, you know, I guess not very interested in popular culture, but um, I am just amazed at this uh, world uh, of YouTube. Anyway, I found my way to you guys, um, um, or YouTube found me, found you guys for me, and uh, I, uh, um, know enough about what goes on here to know that what I'd like to talk about is going to be fairly problematic. Okay. We're kind of used to that. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, so, I yeah. That. Just, I know that. I, I, the best <laughs> advice I can give you, get right on to your point, present it as clearly as possible so that we don't have to spend time, uh, you know, asking a million questions, and we'll see. Maybe it's not as contentious as you might think. Okay. Um, I came up with a description of what I am specifically for this show, actually specifically for you, Matt. And I call myself a neurological micro-Catholic. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, I'm still processing okay. that, but you can continue. Yeah, I, I'm not exactly sure what a Poe is, but I, I'm not one, okay? Uh, <laughs> now, Okay. See, that's a problem, too. You're saying you're something and you don't know what it is. How do you know you're not a Poe? Anyway, go ahead. Anyway, I'm, again, <laughs> I hate to go on with this, but I don't know a ton about psychology. But um, I have heard that the sense of smell is the most keen sense which will trigger memories. And uh, though I know that personal experience is not taken with a great deal of weight on this show, I have ex experienced that. Uh, smells have triggered really intense memories throughout my life. Anyway, a couple of weeks ago, I was at a used bookstore, and I was shown a box of books. God, they smell awesome. Oh, God. I, I love it. When we go to antique malls, I spend a lot of time just nosing through old books, which is how Beth ended up getting me that, uh, that little pamphlet on President Wilson. But go ahead. Well, I was, we opened this box of books, okay, and it, they were unbroken. I opened this book, and it was a book from my Catholic school. And I was raised Catholic, you know, all the way through, um, um, just right by the book. And I was I swear I was taken back to the most vivid memory of that moment, okay? okay. Now, now um, after 12 years of Catholic education, 
I went off to university. Um, Where you became and, a neurological uh, micro-Catholic. Uh, <laughs> well, I think probably I always have been. But the thing is, you guys talk about deconversion. And I, you know, that, that was a new concept to me because I didn't do anything in, in, in any way that active. I simply just... It just never occurred to me to go to mass or be a Catholic or anything. I mean, I just, it's not even like I forgot it. I just went on with my life as if I never was, you know, and uh, went through my education and learned many, many things. Um, and what I wonder about is, Matt, especially Matt, I have to say, um, you know, you say you either believe or you do not believe. Okay? Probably better to say you are either convinced or you are not. Okay. So, I don't tend to use that word believe and haven't for some, some time. Because how... One of the things that, that, that the smell that triggered that memory drove home is... In a sense, in an intellectual sense, who am I to judge what I believe? You're the only one who can? You are literally the only person who has access to what you are and are not convinced of. Um, but what I'm telling you is that I, I am not uh, convinced that I am, that I do have that access. So... Are you convinced that you're on the phone with me right now? Yes. So you believe you're on the phone with me right now? Yes. And you believe that because you have direct experiential access and an understanding of what you are and are not convinced of, correct? Yes, but I don't if if we were talking when I was 8 in a very formative part of my moral intellectual life and you say do i have direct access to that factual information i you know in, in a sense i don't so when you were eight I, you didn't have access to what you were thinking and feeling i, I think did, what he's saying is that we're, not, that we're not tape recorders right we 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 lose we lose memories no, it's fine, but I mean, there's no reason to think that at eight years old you didn't have similar access to your own mind. Well, of course I did. Okay. Uh, I well, guess what I'm trying to um, <laughs> Well, a minute ago, you weren't convinced that you had access to your own mind at all, and over the course of asking if you believe we're on the phone and then talking about what you had as an eight-year-old, now you you're, seem to have the opposite position, that you do have access to your mind. Um, Matt, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm clearly, I'm clearly not being clear. What I'm saying is that I don't have access to the totality of the experience of my life. Neither does anybody. So what? I don't have, I, I couldn't tell you what I had for lunch two days ago. Well, um, so when we make judgments, all right, now, I am not the most intellectual person. I'm I'm an artist. I'm a sculptor. I've never had much use for my intellect as far as... I think that's a perfect use for, for intellect, but go ahead. 
I'm saying as far as the vernacular, you know. Kind no, of see, this is it. Don't worry about the vernacular. I'm pretty sure that other than you, nobody has ever used the term neurological microcatholic. See, you're, de you're desperate to That's come up with a label that describes something. <clears throat> and, and when you tell me that label, it describes nothing. You still have to describe the thing that you're talking about until the label becomes a standard. All right, let me go at it this way. Okay. Okay. Um, what if I'm a Catholic and I don't even know it? Okay. So here's the thing. You don't make conscious decisions to choose what you are or aren't convinced about. It's something that happens to you. You become convinced. You can become convinced for good reasons or bad reasons. However, there are certain things that by their definition... Um, it would be impossible for you to be that thing and not be aware of it because being a Catholic involves having a positive belief in the doctrines of Catholicism. And so as long as you're aware of what those doctrines are, then the only way that you could be a Catholic, the only way to be a Catholic and not know it is to believe all the things that a Catholic would believe and yet not know what it is a Catholic would believe. But, but man, what I'm trying well, – listen to this. Um, I would say that at no point in my life did I believe – and again, I hate that word. I don't quite understand I don't know it. why. All, all it and means is that you're convinced of something. We believe all kinds of things. You believe you're on the phone with me. Well, I never believed – I have to say, I, I'm not aware of having the experience of believing in the Catholic Church. And okay. in fact, I, I was never, even as a child, I was never convinced that the the priests and nuns I dealt with believed in the sense that most people think. It, it seems that uh, this is a common thing where a lot of folks uh, say, hey, you know, I was in... You know, there was this attempt to indoctrinate me, and it didn't take, and, and I'm an atheist. Um, and a lot of folks uh, realized they were an atheist early on in their lives. A lot of folks uh, didn't realize the, what the label meant or whether, you know, uh, whether they would call themselves that or whatever. Yeah, um, you can be an atheist and not know it only if you are in agreement with the atheistic position and are unaware of what it is. Yeah. As soon as, you, as, soon as you're aware of both. actually quite common. You know, hey, it's like asking a two-year-old, are you a bachelor? If they've never heard the term and don't understand it, then yes, they are in a position where they are a bachelor and yet are unaware of it. But as soon as you describe the term and they have a, an understanding of what it is, then you are aware of either you fit that term or you don't. Then they're annoyed at you for asking silly questions. Well, yeah, <laughs> I've seen too many magicians uh, doing kids shows where they get a five-year-old up and the first thing they ask them is, are you married? Because it always gets a laugh. <laughs> okay. So, so Matt, um, are you opening up the possibility that I could be an atheist Catholic and not a micro? -Catholic? No, because Catholicism carries with it the belief in a God. Well, there's enough, this idea of a cultural Catholic, right? And that's very common where you, you know, uh, go through a lot of the motions or whether you have a soft spot for Mary or whatever. Um, there's a lot, of, a lot of that are in the world. Sure, but... I would make a distinction between somebody who is a Catholic and somebody who acts like a Catholic. Yeah. You know, I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to mass, you know, I've been to mass before going to mass does not make me Catholic. 
Well, I guess my I guess that gets to the point. You say act like a Catholic. What I'm worried about is think like a Catholic. Me too. That's a terrifying prospect. Well, a lot of folks get indoctrinated to the point where they, you know, are still afraid of of hell, even even into their eighties. We've we've had a number of calls like that. Do you, l- l- let's start from a different tact. You know, do you, do you believe in God or not? Do you, are you convinced there is a God or are you not convinced? Oh man, um, well. Have you ever read um, Plato's Symposium? Yes. Okay, well, I have spent a, as part of my job as a professor, I had to teach these courses, had to really look into the uh, Christian mystical tradition, which pretty much started with Plato's Symposium. And you know Diotima's speech, which is, of course, the climax. Not off the top of my head, but I, I'm at least passing familiar. Uh, you start with one beautiful boy, then you go to all beautiful boys, and you know you, you it's Diotima's steps, right? You go up um, to the idea of beauty, beautiful forms and customs, and then you come to a platonic, what's called a platonic form, and you get to pure, absolute beauty, disconnected from anything that is available to the senses. So. I'm confused. So all Don's asking is, are you convinced that a God exists and you're going off on like platonic ideals? Um, Well, yeah. (laughs) That. um, Are you convinced that, okay, let me ask you slightly differently. Is it possible that you could be convinced that a God exists and not be aware that you are convinced that a God exists? Uh, sure. I don't know. Uh, then I don't know what to tell you because that to me sounds impossible. Being well, con- I mean, being it's convinced. It's a purely linguistic problem. No, this is this is this is not a purely linguistic problem. This is a cognitive issue. Being convinced is the state in which your mind accepts a proposition as true or likely true. And I'm not convinced that I could actually accept a proposition as true or likely true and be unaware of it. But, I mean, to accept the possibility uh, uh, as an You should argument, not have said I, that word. <laughs> yeah. The, I'm so, not, I didn't so, ask you if you were convinced that God is possible. I asked if you were convinced that a God exists, is real. So it's, it's, it's a sort I, of a I, real stake in the ground, right? And, and if you're not convinced of it, that's fine. And then, then you're kind of in our camp. Well, it is more an aspiration toward this platonic form of beauty is okay. what I would say. Uh, so this is – the platonic ideals don't exist, right? Uh, no, it's something <laughs> – no, it's like perfection. It can only be aspired to. It can only be struggled toward. Sure, it's concept only. Right? But yeah. I, I just find it strange that you're, you're trying you're, – you're sitting here saying – you're, you're refusing to answer whether or not you're convinced that God exists, because then you no, say, I'm "Not." <laughs> well, we're we're going around in a circle. I a beg bit. to differ. <laughs> Do are you convinced that a God exists? I rest my case. 
We're struggling here. You are refusing to answer that question. And instead, you're talking about ideals, platonic ideals, which we already recognize the ideals don't exist. They're not things. You can have a, you can have a, uh, a utopian goal that you're striving for knowing you're never going to get there. And that may be ultimately a good thing because you're striving towards it. You can continue to, to, to work to draw closer and closer to a perfect circle knowing that you're never going to get there because the very definition of a circle precludes the notion that you could draw it. You can go through all that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, you are either convinced that some God actually exists or you are not convinced that some God actually exists. Well, Matt, I mean, I've heard you say a dozen times, you know, on these videos that existence, of course, presupposes um, reality, existing in reality. So the whole, I don't care what notion you have of God, um, precludes that. So, of course, God can't exist. Wow. Um I didn't quite follow that. So that that's not accurate at all. I you you you've basically just argued that God is impossible. So when we yeah. asked if you were convinced that a God exists or not, you you didn't answer, but now you're you're claiming that it's impossible. And even I can't make that claim. I don't believe a God exists, but I could never claim that it's impossible for a God to exist. Well, I I'm I'm using the word God in uh, a way that I understand that you're using it. I, I use God in whatever way the caller is advocating. Because if I run around saying God's not real and I'm not talking about the same God they're talking about, then I'm putting up a straw man. I, I don't even assert that the supernatural isn't real. Uh, my position is that we have no good reason to believe that the supernatural is real. We have no we, way. We don't know how we, to test it. We don't know how to test it. And and because well, that because because it's an unfalsifiable proposition, it would be a gross error to claim that you have falsified it. But you have because to say supernatural, no uh, means real. No, that that's if you no stop. That's if you say that natural is all that is real. The only thing everything real is natural. That that's not the case, as far as we can tell. Everything that is real is natural, but you're by definition precluding the notion that there might be something that is real that is not natural, and you don't get to do that. What you, the only thing you can do is say that we are unaware of anything that is real and not natural. I don't think I'm willing to get that religious, man. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't. I don't know what you mean. There's nothing religious about that. That is logic 101. That is epistemology 101 about whether or not a proposition is testable or falsifiable. And if it's not falsifiable, you can't claim claiming to falsify the unfalsifiable is like claiming to observe the unobservable. You are now in a state of contradiction. And at the end of the day, all we wanted to know is whether or not you were convinced there's a God. And I still don't know what neurological micro-Catholic means. Okay. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, you're fine. <laughs> I'd rather I'd rather you do that. <laughs> so, so here's the thing. Let me let me try this in a slightly different way. What is it that's bugging you, David? Because normally, if I were to ask someone, "Are you convinced that a god exists?" If they were convinced, they would just say yes, or they would say something like, "Well, that depends on the definition of God. Let me tell you which god I'm convinced exists, etc." 
But you balk at that, and you wanted to go back to platonic ideals and all this other stuff, and now you're trying to come up with a label that describes what you are. Why a neurological micro-Catholic and not a neurological micro-Baptist? I think it's his Catholic upbringing. Those people are, I have no idea what, um, how would I, I have no idea what Baptists do or think or they think catholics they think catholics are idolaters who worship mary and saints and they catholics don't engage in actually biblically justified positions that it is a false church propped up um through years but essentially they believe the bible baptists do and that it's salvation by grace through faith and all these other things but my point was you've tried to put a label on it and you've stuck with catholic and not baptist or episcopalian or presbyterian why not a micro, a, a neurological micro Hindu, uh, a micro? Uh, because, I mean, uh, well, I'm sorry. Um, the thing is, is that um, I was formed. My mind, in a sense, was formed. Well, in a very large sense, was formed by being a Catholic, not a Baptist. Okay. The other thing is, I'm a okay. sculptor. And I make gra- graven images all the time. Sure. Um, Which is, you know, it's you. <laughs> uh, so, so the thing is, yes, I. this is the answer that I was largely expecting. But the thing to realize is that in your efforts to put a label on it, you've just stuck with some version of the religion you were raised with. Um, you were also influenced by where you grew up and who you grew up around. And those things can change. So, like, I was born in Kansas City. Uh, I will always refer to Kansas City as home in some sense, but I've also lived in, you know, St. Louis and Norfolk, Virginia Beach area and here in Austin. Um, Austin is home. It's been home longer than any place else. I've been here since 1994. I'm essentially an Austinite. I wasn't born here. I got here as fast as I could, all the standard jokes. Uh, I recognize that I'm from Kansas City, but that doesn't mean that who I was in Kansas City is the same as who I am now. It's not like I would ever describe myself as a neurological micro-Baptist from Kansas City. Instead... Are you sure about that, though? Yes, I'm very sure that I would not describe myself that way. Because none of those things get to the core of what I am. I'm an atheist. I'm a secular humanist. I didn't used to be those things. I used to be convinced that a God exists. Now I am not convinced that a God exists. I think there's a certain amount of work that you have to do to sort of really examine your beliefs and, and decide whether they're true or not and why you believe them. And, and that's, that's a big amount of effort, especially when you're first sticking your nose into what, what, what is this religion thing or, or, or atheism thing. And, and maybe that's uh, what you need to do more of is – is uh, examine your beliefs and think about, you know, do they fit? Uh, why and are, are they reasonable positions? I, I think those are those are good exercises for everybody. And it's not uncommon for theists that we know to take five, eight, ten years sure. to 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 do that work. That, that's why I was asking David. Or that's was asking what is it that's bugging him? Mm-hmm. You know. First of all, you don't have to be fully aware of who you are and what you are. You don't necessarily have to have a label for it. There's no problem at all with saying, 
I, I'm not necessarily sure what I'm what I'm convinced of. I'm still looking into it. And and in some cases, I would argue that you can be convinced of things and perhaps not be fully aware or not know the full spectrum of it. I just think that there are some things that, you know, like it would be impossible for you to not be convinced that you're on the phone with us. You are directly experiencing it as it happens. It it, it would it would require some sort of strong delusion for you to not be convinced of this. And it's not a decision you made. It's just, here's the facts, and I have no, I have no choice but to believe I'm on the phone with you. Um, Matt, isn't that, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm just learning about all this arguing stuff, but isn't that some kind of incongruity fallacy? Oh, so. I, what? I'm not aware that anything I said so? was fallacious, but if you, help us understand what do you mean? What you, why, why you think so. You say that a person's fundamental beliefs is, is congruent um, in an argument with um, knowing that they're on the phone, which is fairly trivial. I, I have I have no understanding of what you said and how it applies to a fallacy. I think you if may I'm, have misheard him. If I'm, yeah, I am currently experiencing all a massive amount of information flooding my brain that leads to the undeniable conclusion that I'm sitting in this studio with a microphone in front of me and earbuds in my ear talking to you. What's fallacious about that? The, 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 only, the, the only part is the, the foundation of do I actually have access to the really real reality and, you know, the, this problem of hard solipsism. And to that, we have no answer. I'm just stuck dealing with the reality I experience. Um, I think what I was talking about is that you're equating um, knowing that I'm on the phone with these more difficult and fundamental issues um, that we've been discussing. I mean, that to equate those two things is seems silly. Equate what two things? Being on the phone and God? Yes. Yeah, this is the beautiful thing about logic. It doesn't care. An argument is valid or sound completely independent of what category you might put it in. So you either have evidence for a proposition and you have a structure that is valid or you don't. This is why when logical arguments are described, they're like, if A, then P, A, or if P, then Q, P, therefore Q. They're, they're put that way because that removes any context. And so when I say that it's analogous, um, it doesn't have to be an immediate direct experience. For example, I know that I parked my truck in the in the back lot. I don't know that it's still I'm convinced it's still there because I'm pretty sure that I if it had moved from there, I probably would have heard about it. But I'm not I'm not only not absolutely certain, I'm not massively certain. My truck could have been stolen while I was out here. But I know where I parked it because that was an experience. I also know despite the fact that I've never been uh I don't know, let's pick a place I've never been. I've never been to Scotland. I know Scotland exists. I've never had any direct experience in Scotland, and yet I know it exists, right? Don't you know Scotland exists? Man, I don't know. I have no idea what you're doing here. Um, okay. <laughs> well, you, you were saying that that me talking about being on the phone was a fundamentally different thing from knowing whether or not there's a God, and... They are different 
qualities of experience and knowing. But this is still about what sort of data would be sufficient to confirm a claim. I know Scotland is real. I know it exists. Yeah. I I could prove Scotland exists as well. I've never been there, but I could prove it in a number of different ways to the, to, to the fullest extent that we could demonstrate anything about reality. I can show you, you know, the maps of the UK. I could, we talk about how it's related to England and Ireland and Wales and everything else. And we can show where its boundaries are. We can explore the history of Scotland and everything else. And we know that it, it's real. Of course. Can we do that with God? Uh, no one will ever be able to do that. Wow. That See, that's another thing. that You say no one will ever be able to do that. How do you know that? What if God shows up? What if there is a God and he shows up yeah. right here in the studio and gives evidence to everybody that exists? Now you're wrong when you say no one will ever be able to do that. Well, because that would be contrary to my understanding of what God is. I, I okay. So what you're, um, that that sounds a lot like I have a God idea of my own, and I'm going to say that this God, no one could ever possibly prove. Well, you can't be wrong because you have your own God concept. Uh, no, I'm, what I'm trying to tell you is what I've gathered from, well, mostly your show, um, as to what people think God is. This, um, what do you this, think oh, God is? Yeah. You know, I, I think there's as many, as many different God notions is? of God as there are people. Yeah, in order to figure out whether or not you're convinced that God exists, don't you need a notion of God that, that you're going to address? Because Catholics have a different notion of God than Baptists do, that have a different notion of God than Jews do, despite the fact that they're all tied to the same Abrahamic tradition. So you need to define what it is that you're assessing. Well, Matt, I don't feel any pressing need to have any kind of concept of God. Okay. Um, I have no use for that, basically whatsoever. Um, what I'm, what I mostly was interested in, you know, in defining myself as this neurological micro-Catholic, is not so much the existence of God or a belief in God. I mean, I really don't care. Um, which I'm sure you would say that I'm an atheist. What I'm saying, no, is, I would say that's very a, strange. Because is, what it, what is offered up is there neurological remnants of my Catholic upbringing, which is without my even knowing it, like the smell of that book. Yeah, this sounds like my morality, homeopathy, my not not micro. Yeah, <laughs> it's been diluted enough that maybe there's nothing there anymore. <laughs> so, I. Yes, I would think under under a number of different definitions and usages, you would probably qualify as an atheist. My thing is, it's whether or not a God exists would seem to be one of the most important questions anyone could ask, particularly given what people claim about gods. And so, it would. I, I understand some people just don't care, but to me, that means you don't care about truth. Well, I think that's because this is something that's very central to your life. It's it's not to mine. No, no, no. Wow. Well, it is it is a big question. It's like, how did we get here? Where did we come from? These sorts of things. Is there a God? What's going to happen after you die? Yeah. The, well, well, the what, sort of, what am I going to do? What am I going to do with that with that information? I mean, 
Well, if, if there is an afterlife and what happens to you in the afterlife is based on what you do now, then don't you think that would be important to know? Um, are you doing Occam or what is it called? Uh, I'm not doing anything. I'm asking he's a question. He's playing devil's advocate here, is what he's doing. <laughs> here, here, here's the thing. It's like saying I don't care how much money is in my retirement account. As long as there's plenty there, I don't care how much. <laughs> Maybe somebody has wiped out your retirement account, and if you learned about it right now, you could begin to rebuild. Maybe you already have enough to retire, and you could begin retiring right now and enjoy everything else about your, your, your life. It would seem to be something that was important to know. And I know that there are people who legitimately don't care if they have a retirement account or anything else. I'm just saying that mo if you pointed that out to people, if they had a retirement account, that they should care about you know, the state of that. Most people would probably agree. This, I, I agree yeah, with I you. I, I agree with you that because the various God propositions haven't offered evidence in support of them, that it may be reasonable to say, I don't care about that. Or maybe it'd be more accurate to say, I don't care about that until some new information comes along. But you're so busy trying to define yourself. muddle and I can't make sense of it. <laughs> you're so busy trying to define yourself as some kind of Catholic. And then you, you know, after all that, we get to, I really don't care if God exists. I have no use for it. Kind of makes me feel like we wasted time. Uh, well, I'm sorry about that, Matt. But no, it's not your fault. I'm just. I, I, think, I think I mentioned that, in a sense, my experience of being a Catholic doesn't have that much to do with believing in God. Correct. Um, so why do... So, All right. I don't, I don't know what else to do. Um, okay. Okay. I, I'm stuck. We should both think about it and you can call back another time. We'll maybe attack this from a different direction. Sure. And, and, and Don's nodding. And on that note, we're already like, I don't know, 17 minutes over time. Yeah. So I'm going to thank David... I'm, gonna, I'm assuming uh, I can't communicate with the booth, so I don't know if they want me to take the rest. Stay on the line if you're on the line because we may be doing uh, after show. Uh, but because we're at like 617, I at least wanted to wrap it up for all the people uh, here who might be interested in food and stuff. See, we do this at the Atheist Community of Austin's Free Thought Library. Uh, we used to go out for dinner after the show. Now we have kind of dinner gathering here with people who show up, all the people on the other side of the glass. Um, so, yeah, any atheist or atheist-friendly person is welcome to come down to 1507 West Canyon Lane here in Austin, Texas, and engage and meet people. Uh, so while I'm waiting for them to tell me if there's an after show, I think we're just going to wrap the main part of the I'm show up here. Notes. Yeah, me neither. All right, I've gotten, I've gotten confirmation. So the three of you that are on the line will take your calls just as soon as we close this out. And they show the, oh, look, it's censored. They're showing, oh, it's extra censored. Are they all flipping me off back there? I don't know. Celebrate whatever you want to celebrate. I'm not going to be around until after the new year happens. So thank you so much for joining us. And don't forget to send in your submissions for the best of clips to submissions at atheist.community.org. Thanks to our awesome to make this happen. Right. Absolutely. Thanks to all those people who just showed themselves and the ones who didn't. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. That is not the closing credits for the Aces experience.
Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.